It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield. Live from NBA Summer League. Summer League. Summer League. Summer League. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. NBA Summer League. Cofield on the scene. Big show on the way. In about 15 minutes, we're going to talk to a new buddy of the show. A new buddy of the show. We'll tell you about that in uh, just a few. Damon is here. It's Cofield. We'll have Kevin Kruger in, uh, head coach at UNLV, Ron Rebels head coach and former player. He'll be in in the 5 o'clock hour. And then we got a big, uh, really a big week for the WNBA. A couple more games for the Aces before the All-Star break. And then comes the uh, big game. But they got a game tonight and a game tomorrow tonight against the Mercury and Brittany Griner. So we'll see what the crowd reaction is. And Willie Ramirez will be chiming in. From the MUA, the Mick Ultra Arena, in just a little bit. Damon, what's going on today? Oh, a whole lot, Steve. I don't like the MUA. I'll tell you that. You, <laughs> you know don't what? like that one? You know what I will say to you, though, as we start? Yeah. Last night, the Home Run Derby. You sent me a couple of, you sent me a tweet of someone like that also didn't like Berman. And then I'm going to say, I'm calling them out. They were plants. They were Steve Cofield plants. You want to know why? Yeah. One of the guys who liked the tweets that Berman's too much, I go to his likes. You know what else he liked? What? A picture of a pool of somebody's house in Vegas. So he also doesn't like Berman, and he's a fan of pools. Okay. I mean, probably could have been your best friend for all I know. Why not? Actually, did you see the initial <laughs> the initial tweet I sent your way was actually Adam Hill's brother. Oh, that's it. See? But, but Ryan Carl, who is a much better follow than Adam is, um, I don't speak to him outside of a DM maybe four times a year. So we were sharing a brain on the, the Berman thing. So yesterday we were talking about the home run derby and why I got a little tired of it in the past because Chris Berman was on there with the back, 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 and trying to fill time, and he had a, he had a really tough time. Um, he had a big retirement, but he's around all the time. So I don't know what I, I don't know what happened with ESPN where they sort of soft retired him and he got pushed to the side, but he's back. Uh, the funny thing is, on the way in, I'm you know I generally I love ESPN Radio National, great job they do, but uh, I will listen a lot of times to Fox Sports Radio National, and I like Cavino and Rich. And they are live in Seattle from the game. And one of those guys said, I can't tell the difference between them. It's amazing. I've listened to them for years, but I, I, I can't. Uh, they're awesome, though. Uh, one of the guys said that the announcers last night uh, didn't have the sizzle of Berman. So they're Chris Berman supporters. So they're with you. I mean, you take Chris Berman for granted, and now we miss him when he's gone. I didn't say we miss him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lump, don't don't lump me in. I mean, he is a legend of broadcasting, and and uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, we had a listener. It was Vern. That's a memory, right? I don't know what I had for breakfast this morning, but uh, listener Vern years ago, when we used to bang on Chris Berman when he was active, would always write us and be like, "He started this whole thing. Without him, you guys wouldn't be doing sports talk radio." And I'm like, eh, in a way, he kind of did. He was one of the originators, one of the original personalities at ESPN, and that eventually blew up. Uh, you know, with 24-hour sports on TV into Sports Talk Radio with New York and WFAN going 24-7 in 1987. So we should be respectful of the legends, of the trailblazers like Chris Berman. Um, boy, I don't know if I want to be respectful because I didn't... I'm going to be respectful because I want to look it up during a break. I didn't get a chance to look up what happened to the poor kid at the Home Run Derby. Uh, if the audience remembers yesterday... Damon and I have had a couple of conversations about his baseball background, and I threw it out there yesterday that I would love to shag fly balls at the Home Run Derby. My biggest thing would be you got to get all the kids off the field because I will truck them. 
I'm a big, lumbering old man. I don't move well side to side, so if I get ahead of steam, someone's getting planted and just freaking smushed into the ground. Um, it was worse for one young man. Damon, did you see what happened out? And sorry, I, I can't, I can't do it without laughing. And I, oh. and I have a feeling the kids like I have a feeling the kid like really suffered a serious injury. So I don't want to chuckle, but just the image of this poor kid. You saw what happened, right? Yeah, he gets hit by Pete Alonso, and then they're going back to him at the at the plate, and he's just dancing it up. I'm not saying that he was dancing because he hit that kid with the baseball, but it's a bad look. The cut. The cut from the camera because this kid, he was getting helped off with two people. Somebody on each side walking this kid off the field. Back to Pete Alonzo, who's having the time of his life after planking a kid. Yeah. Well, line drives are tough, man. I told you I told you yesterday, the baseball, especially for a little kid, man, this isn't, you know, little Johnny who's 11 across the way hitting a ball at you at, you know, 48 miles an hour to the outfield. <laughs> this is a major league baseball player. I saw it was anywhere between the ball speed off the bat was anywhere between 105 and 115 miles an hour. And it was still screeching as it got to probably within 20 feet of the uh, warning track. And the kid never saw it coming. I mean, it was a straight line drive to the dome. And he went down in a friggin' heap. And like you said, then you see two people carrying the kid off. Uh, meanwhile, they were. I, I guess maybe the opening in the fence is it near center field or left center. They're like moving them back into the action. I'm like, guys, everyone, look out! There's another ball could be coming. And like you said, then they go to the plate because like, oh crap, this kid's hurt. Let's go to the plate. And Pete Alonso has no idea. He just decapitated some kid, and he's dancing for all he can dance. So wonderful moment. And I do think there's going to be enough outrage that they're going to, they're probably going to tell Major League Baseball like we can't have kids. On the field. It's freaking too dangerous. Um, Demond, another dangerous place apparently the last uh, five, eight, ten years was the Northwestern locker room, where we found out yesterday more details about Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald and what kids were doing to kids and what the coaches were approving. And of course, with every story where you're horrified, and it seems pretty clear after a long investigation. That someone should have their job called into question, there's always someone who's going to back them. And when it's a football thing, and in this case, the story was they were physically and mentally abusing kids by getting after the freshmen and hazing. And some of the hazing action was, hey, you make a mistake in practice, we're going to a locked room, we're turning the lights off, and we get to hump you. Which I don't. I never understand. I, I'd love the first person in the group who comes up with that one, where they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna hump a guy," and then everyone else is like, "Yeah, that sounds awesome. We used to do that in high school. I love that." <laughs> like, is there anyone in the room who's like, "Wait, what? We're doing what? Like, you, you hump? Um, how about we don't hump? How about we don't hump?" So anyway, there are so many football players, former football players and coaches, who grew up coaching like this and building team camaraderie like this. I guess that there's someone there to back up Pat Fitzgerald. And I know he has a good reputation, or he did, but I saw Danny Cannell today saying, I hate this, Pat Fitzgerald is a good human who cared about his players deeply. He ran his program the right way and has a stellar reputation. I have never heard anyone have a bad thing to say about him. This feels wrong. I, I'm not, listen, I'm not going to go down this path for like the five millionth time on the air. I can tell lots of stories of individuals I was friends with or I'm very loosely friends with now where they did something that was offensive, cruel, borderline criminal. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea that person was capable of it. Guess what? Anyone is capable of it. And you don't 
no one really knows anyone 100%. So we'll get into that as the show moves along. The uh, defense crew that's stepping up for Pat Fitzgerald, who is out at Northwestern after 17 years, and he played there as well. But on the way back, we've been raving about this Netflix documentary, Muscles and Mayhem. It's on American Gladiators, or it's about American Gladiators. If you didn't see it, uh, the original show went 89 to 96. We highly recommend watching it. It is entertaining. Frankly, if you didn't watch it and you're a lot younger, you don't know anything about it, it's informative. The characters in it are great. But the lead character and the guy who came up with the idea for the documentary was always one of the villains and one of the stars of the show, uh, Dan Clark, who went by the name Nitro. Uh, We sat down with Nitro, and we're going to have that conversation for you here on this Tuesday in just a few. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Live from NBA Summer League on ESPN Las Vegas. Thomas and Mac and Finley Toyota Studios. Busy Tuesday. We got the Major League Baseball All-Star Game coming up. It's Cofield out here at the Summer League. DeMond is in the Finley Toyota Studios. We have been talking about this documentary about American Gladiators, the one on Netflix, Muscles and Mayhem. It's awesome. I mean, all ages can enjoy it. It's highly entertaining. A lot of surprises. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. We had a chance to grab Damon, basically his buddy, uh, called up Nitro, Dan Clark, who was one of the big characters on the show. Was still, you know, a really impressive dude and a really good storyteller. And, you know, we started off the conversation just talking about getting some sort of meeting, getting a hookup. One of his buddies hooked him up with Netflix, and then it was go time. Put this thing together. I can get you uh, a meeting at Netflix. Do you have the pitch ready? And I was like, oh, okay. I said, of course I do. <laughs> You're right? You want to be able to take opportunity when it comes. But what I did is I really modeled the pitch for the show after the last dance. Right? The last dance is about how the Bulls, the best team of all time, um, didn't get a chance to win their seventh championship because the owner and the team, or the owner and management thought that the team was bigger than the Bulls players. Right, so that's yeah, the yeah. narrative thrust of that show. But the show is really about Michael, Scott, and uh, the rest of the Bulls and Phil. So I did the same thing on this show. I actually created the concept. I said, okay, this is going to be about how come this show everybody loved and treasured when they were young. How come it blew up at the height of its fame? And it was the same reason because management didn't want to share in the merchandising, and they thought the concept was the king not the gladiators, and that we walked away when we didn't get a fair piece of the merchandising. So I'm actually the one who came up with the concept and the idea of the show, so they didn't have to talk me into it, if that makes sense. Do you, do you still have a Nitro action figure anywhere? In my pocket. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I would, yeah, I would so I, I actually do have an action figure, um, yeah, and, and that was a treat to get plasticized. And you know, the only funny thing about it was, I was a kid, I played with G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe had the Kung Fu grip, and he was 12 inches. When Mattel called me in, you know, to cut, we're making the toy lines, we want you to see the first one and the prototype, and they brought me in, and, you know, there's a huge, huge, like, uh, huge display. And they had me walk into this room, like kind of blindfolded. I took the blindfold off and the spotlight hit this action figure. And I looked and the poor guy was only four inches. <laughs> and I was like, you know, G.I. Joe's hanging 12. Why are we only four? And they thought it was like, you know, like a sexual innuendo thing. And I said, no, it's not 
size that matter. It doesn't matter because that size matters because when you're a kid, you want to be able to you know, take them with and you want to be able to do things and articulate them. So, yeah, I have the action figure. I'm still disappointed he wasn't 12 inches. Are you are you surprised? I mean, I know that you probably get still a lot of people that love the show that are reacting to the show, but are you surprised at the reaction? It's been so overwhelmingly positive to this documentary. Uh, that has to make you feel good, but was it a surprise at all? I'm not surprised at the reaction as to how many people have watched it. I think it's 20 million hours viewed in the first 10 days, hitting number one on Netflix. So, so I'm not so surprised by that because everywhere I go, I still have people coming up to me. Dude, you're that nitro guy. So I knew there was an appetite for it. And, but the success and how well it was received was something when you're in that creative process that you don't know. You know so eventually I hand it over. Here's what I think the show is. Here's the character arcs. Here's the story arc. I hand it over to the directors. Then I'm hands off. Then they have to take your baby and they bring it to screen. And it was uh, Jared Hess from Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libra, who's fantastically funny, a genius, and a guy named Tony Vianucu, who directed the fabulous Netflix show, The Girlfriend That Didn't Exist, about Manti Teo. Did you guys see that? Oh, yeah. You know, when I was pitching it, it was never funny. It's never right. funny when you're punching your best friend in right, the face right, right. in a Palm Springs. But they found a way to make that humorous. And Tony was genius where he found the way to keep the drama and the poignant and heartfelt moments where, you know, I've got so many people, you know, hitting me on Instagram and Facebook, just men and women both saying, you know, that they enjoyed it. It brought them back to that nostalgia, but there are a couple moments where they, they, they teared up, you know, and um, so I think they just did a genius, genius job. And I feel really lucky and grateful we had them. Muscles and mayhem, the unauthorized story of American gladiators. We love that show. Uh, Nitro, is with us. How do you think you came off? Uh, sometimes I think I came off as kind of a douche. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I, you know, I look at it because when, you know, my significant other and I are watching the cuts and, you know, where they talk about, you know, when I was younger and the womanizing and all she could say is like, oh my God, my mother can't watch this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, and the opening line where I jokingly, when I'm introduced, you know, I say, I said, oh, I'll get comfortable here. And I sniffle. And I said, anybody got cocaine? You know, so she's like, oh, my God, our 12-year-old son can't watch this. You know, so I, I, I wasn't sure. And for me, I really wanted to make it entertaining. I really wanted to, you know, tell the best stories. And I also really wanted to be open and authentic and vulnerable as a man to kind of set a, an example for a big, strong guy, you can still be open, you can still be vulnerable, and hold both of those things in your hand at one time. So I'm, I'm very astonished and, and so happy that you know, all the responses I'm getting on social media, you know, have been really, really positive. And a lot of them are, man, you know, some of them are the typical, man, you were the man, oh my God, I, I, you know, you're my hero, uh, thanks for doing this show. And, but a majority of them have been, from both men and women, and they've been like, you know what? Like I, I remember this woman said, like, hey, I'm raising two boys, 19 and 22 years old. We're watching this. Thank you for showing that a man can be strong and open. And other guys, you know, I was just in uh, Kona, Hawaii, and I was at this coffee plantation way back in the boonies. Um, and I, I, I come up there for the tour, and the guy who's giving the tour turns around. He's like, oh, oh my God. 
my God, he couldn't even speak. He's like, I just watched a docu <laughs> I was like, wow, this you know is traveling like that far on Netflix's you know um, reach. And then after it was over, he ran and wrote me this very like a postcard and gave me some free coffee. And he just said, man, thank you so much for saying that, you know, you had to raise your hand and get help and got therapy. Because a lot of guys like me are struggling. When they see that you did that, it's going to help them. So I'm, you know, really touched that it hit people in a way that I was hoping it would by being open and authentic. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm glad about that. Nitro, I've got to ask you, a big part of the docuseries was the steroid use that happened there. I'm a former professional wrestler. I've thought about it, you know, but how big and prevalent was the steroids that you were taking in? When did it start? Was it that time of being a replacement player in the NFL? I think what a lot of people in the public are getting confused about is TRT clinics, testosterone replacement therapy clinics are popping all, all over across the United States. Testosterone replacement therapy is steroids. So... <laughs> Yeah. A lot, I think the marketing has yeah. just changed. Yeah. When I first got introduced into the world of steroids, it was 1982 or 1983. I was a freshman in college, junior college, got injured, blew out my knee. I talk a lot about this in my book, uh, Gladiator, True Story of Roids and Rage and Redemption. And when I blew out my knee, I saw my dream of being an NFL player evaporate. It was gone because I was hurt. I lost all the weight. I was working out. I was trying to get back. That's when I saw a guy in the gym who was huge, regular gym. And I walked up to that guy and I said, dude, you're huge. What do you do? And, and he told me, he said, I take steroids. And in 1982, nobody knew what that was. It wasn't like today, you know, where we have all these different connotations. And I said, what do they do? He said, they make you stronger. You can recover quicker. And I just said, okay, um, you know, are they safe? And he said, well, I get them from a doctor. And I said, well, can I go see that doctor? In 1982, there's no WADA, there's no drug testing. Right. You know, it's not like it is today. And that's when I went and saw that doctor on my 18th birthday and, uh, you know, started my first cycle of steroids. And I was taking the similar dosage to what they prescribe you now in these TRT clinics. What did poor Malibu do? Because... You guys were just trashing the guy. He doesn't. He doesn't like contact. You can see it in his eyes. That poor guy. Malibu, great dude, <laughs> terrible gladiator. Yeah. Okay. You know, he, to to be a gladiator, the best training was a contact sport. Sure. Malibu played racquetball. Yes. yes. So he went up there and he looked great. He had this hair like Farrah Fawcett. He had this Beautiful. Hey, wavy hair. He looked like an Adonis, but he just had never done a contact sport. It wasn't for him, and uh, he got fired after the first 13 episodes. But, hey, lovely, lovely guy. Matt, I was calling you, Matt. Nitro, I've got to ask, take us back. What was the best party that you went to in the Hollywood area at the height of American Gladiators? Oh, man. So once you get on TV, once you become famous, you get into this, like, club where people start to invite you places. They want you to come places. They want you to show up because it brings up their, I think their social cred, right? Oh, I know this famous person. And you know, the best party I went to was a party up in the Beverly Hills. It was at a guy named Marvin Davis's house. He was a oil mogul who went and bought Paramount Studios. And he had us come to his house and it was this huge house and it was like a New Year's Eve party. 
you walk in there, you know, this is before a lot of people's times, like Don Rickles was entertainment, Tony Bennett sang, it was a couple hundred people. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it was Lee Iacocca, okay. Chrysler guy. And, it, you know, this professional athletes, actors, actresses, because he owned a movie studio. And that was the night that I met two presidents, Ford and Carter. And it was just wow, like they're God. walking over, like, and shake, hey, this is Gerald. Hey, this is Jimmy. You know, you're like, oh, hi. And then the last guy, as I'm about to leave, I'm about to leave Marvin's house and Merv Griffin, I knew his son. Uh, and I knew him as well. He calls over. He goes, Dan, Dan, before you go, I want someone else. There's someone else I want you to meet. And I turn around and it's President Ronald Reagan. And he's like, wow. and Merv is like, um, Mr. Reagan, President Reagan, this is uh, the guy I was telling you, but he does that show TV, you know, show American Gladiators. And, you know, Ronald's like, well, Dan, nice to meet you, son. And he shook my hand. And that was <laughs> like the craziest thing the party had ever been to. It sounded like, uh, I guess, President Clinton was like all over, wanted to be at the set. I don't know if he ever showed up, but did he, who did he want? Lace? Zap? I thought I thought there was a pop in there where uh, Bill Clinton had mentioned to someone, like, I really like this one. <laughs> no, no, no. He mentioned that it was his favorite show. Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> favorite, no, no Lewinsky's happening here. He mentioned right. that American Gladiators was his, and keep it clean, his daughter's favorite show okay. to watch. Okay. We love we love Chelsea. We love the Clintons. Who was a uh, diamond guy? I think he was a diamond guy. He was a diamond. He was a sky guy. Yeah, I heard. So I, well, you guys well, mentioned diamond it. was diamond was just you know like wow. She, you know she I, we consider her the Marilyn Monroe of the gliders. She was just a you know fantastic um, you know physical specimen. So you know the girls were. You never actually looked at the Zap Playboy. No, not the first time I actually saw it was on the was on the darn docking series. I had you know I had, I'm glad they blurred out her you know. Well, the special parts, because it's like looking at your sister, right? If you're like your younger sister is in Playboy, you're not going to go look. It's like an ick factor. Well, especially since she choked me out with her legs. Yeah, you know? that that story is one of the hottest, most scary stories I've ever heard. Like at the beginning, you must have been like, all right, this feels pretty good. And then all of a sudden you're you're on your hands and knees. Well, you know, I think we have concepts, right, of what is masculine, what is yeah. feminine. And, you know, it's changed a lot. And well, on that note, Gladiators was the first show, a sporting event, that men and women were actually treated equal. The women did the same thing the men did, and I think uh, uh, it was a pioneer in that. But a lot of the thoughts about what is masculine and what is strong, you know, I think it really changed those a lot because I, I never had a girl who was as strong as I was. And I would go bench press with Zap, and she would put 225 on the bench. And again, she was... Five, five. I think you know she got to like 170 pounds, wow. and she put you know two wheels on each side, and she would just rep it out, 10, 12 times. Yeah. She was strong, and when I gave her that piggyback ride, and she wrapped her legs around me, oh my god! I mean, it was jujitsu <laughs> before jujitsu because yeah. she dropped me to my knees. And the worst part about it, can I tell you, the most humiliating part, sure. she doesn't even remember. <laughs> One of the seminal moments of yes, my life yes, yes. <laughs> where it changed my concept of masculinity and femininity. It was just like it must have been a daily occurrence to her because she doesn't remember. Yeah, going back to your comment about not looking at her and that she was like a sister. I had no sisters, dude. So I looked at, <laughs> I looked at it again today and I was like, I don't want to get too too gross, but um, I think she actually bleached the carpet like okay. like totally blonde. I was like, I forgot. Uh, I feel so like you're cool. talking about my mother now. No, 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 no. <laughs> so no, no. Yeah, drapes, this is Steve, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, Steve. The, the drapes, the drapes in the carpet. The drapes in the carpet. Um, last couple of minutes. Uh, Muscles of Mayhem. We love this documentary. I'm blown away by it. Nitro's with us. It's such an honor to get him on. Like I said, 
when I watched the show, I root for the average guys. It was like, oh, Nitro, he's cocky, he's all muscular, good-looking guy. I'm like, I don't like that. What was the craziest thing uh, that you heard that maybe – did you get to – as you're – you know, you suggested this. Uh, other guys are putting it together. Did you get to watch all of the footage? Was there anything crazy in there that you didn't know about, stories from others? Fifteen years ago, I went and watched every show from uh, an MGM library, and I – when they were launching their American Gladiators YouTube page. And I watched all the shows. I picked out the 40 best moments and did uh, narrated them, told them why those were the best moments and gave my point of view. So I was familiar with all the footage, so nothing caught me by surprise. Looking back, how hard-hitting it was, how violent it was, um, surprised me a little bit. And in the interviews, I didn't sit in on the uh, on the gladiators' interviews. I mean, that was their personal space. Uh, the directors were there. My producing partner were there. I think they'd have been a little uncomfortable if I was there. Maybe they wanted to, you know, say terrible things about me or right. good things. Right. So I didn't sit in on them. And when I saw, started watching the cuts of it, there was only one moment that I kind of pissed me off. Um, really, a little bit. Just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, well, there are actually two moments. The one moment where in the first episode, they talk about my womanizing ways, which, you know, when I was a young man in Hollywood, they were kind of true. Or they were very true. But I never dated any of the gladiators except for my failed attempt with, with uh, Ray where right. she choked right. me out. Right. I, ne- I never did. And they acted like, you know, he's a scoundrel. He went from one gladiator girl to the next. And I'm still trying to convince my wife, not that it matters 30 years later, that I, I, I didn't do that. So that was one thing. Yeah. Second thing was where Laser, you know, we were roommates. We played uh, at the Rams together. You know, we were best buddies. Uh, he says I didn't tell him about the gladiator audition. You know, and right, I think he right, calls yeah, me a snake. Weird. Yeah, that seemed weird. Yeah, he calls me a snake, but yeah. the truth was, he wasn't in town. Uh, he had gone back to Montana to make some extra money for a few months so he could come back and, you know, still pursue the Hollywood life. He wasn't even here. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. And I hope you make all you guys, I hope you make so much money off this thing with all the, you know, the ancillary stuff that I think is coming with this. So congrats on this. This is a really big deal. Good job. Thank you very much for having me on. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live from NBA Summer League on ESPN Las Vegas. You can hear the entire Nitro conversation by going up to Twitter. Uh, We got links up there. Uh, Also, a a video clip of Damon asking maybe the best question of the interview, aside from my, uh, my fascination with Zap and her crotch. Um, Damon was asking about parties. I actually think, and we just talked to Nitro, one of the big characters from American Gladiators. They're back you know, in front of everyone now with this docu-series. It's Muscles and Mayhem. We appreciate him being with us for about 20 minutes. Um, I actually think he gave us a very sanitized version of the best party. There's no way he wasn't at a party that essentially you know, was just men and women, uh, women, I'll say, mingling aggressively. I don't want to use the O word for it. but uh, And back in those days, the, in L.A., in Hollywood, the drugs. Uh, what a life this guy led. What a life to be famous in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, Damon. What a life. Man, it's something I, could, I can't even imagine about. You know when people say you can't write this? You can, but nobody would believe it. 
So if he were to have told us like a super crazy story of I hooked well, up with this person and that person, maybe we'd be uh, like, right, get out of here. I'm sure he's got a murderer's row. Uh, I mean, he's he's very insistent that he didn't run roughshod over the cast, all the women on American Gladiators, which I I kind of believe it. I'm guessing he still could try to make a run at them, but maybe the, you know. And there were, by the way, there were also women on the show who were not interested in men, so um, you know you can make a run at them. And maybe that was maybe that's what uh, Zap was doing. She's just like, I'm going to squeeze you, squeeze all the life out of you, and drop you to your hands and knees. And but uh, we won't tell all the stories. Watch the docu series, Muscles and Mayhem. You know, he's got a lot of crazy stories. It's Tyson Fury. And he's good for any promotion. I'm just going to say this right out of the gates on an announcement that was made earlier today. Anytime boxing announces a fight, especially heavyweight fights, but really all fights, I need to see the press conference and like the official path beginning before I believe it's going to happen. So while I'm completely intrigued by the announcement that Tyson Fury, the best heavyweight boxer in the world, is going to take on Francis Ngannou, the most intimidating MMA heavyweight in the world, who is not with UFC anymore. He's kind of independent slash PFL. Uh, they are going to box. It'll be a boxing match, as these always are, right? There's only, I mean, at the highest level, there's been only, I think, one guy. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Damon, I think there's been only one boxer who was like, yeah, I'll do MMA. And that was James Tony, who literally got taken down. I'm not taking any credit away from Randy Couture, but Randy Couture took him down with like the most basic takedown you could ever use. And once James Tony got on his back, it was like a turtle. Like he he had no chance to get up, and he got slaughtered. And I think that's a lesson to every boxer: like do not do MMA rules. Go in and fight to your strength. So, I mean, I want to see if Ngannou can box. I think Fury's going to destroy him, but I want to say it. So, first of all, do you believe it's going to happen? I believe it's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm falling victim to the press. Hey, man, Ngannou's wanted this for a long time. They've teased it for a long time. I believe it's going to happen. Is it going to be good? Is it good for the sport? All that good stuff? Is, in, is, excuse me, is Fury holding up the heavyweight division? Maybe. Should he be maybe focused on a unified fight with Alexander Usyk? Maybe. But I want this fight more. This is going to be ten times more entertaining than Conor versus Floyd because Francis has a—he's got the knockout power and more boxing experience. Hmm. I don't know if I'm board, on board with that. What? He's, he doesn't have more boxing experience than Conor? Um, I don't know that he's any more skilled as a boxer than Conor. In fact, I think he might be less skilled. And my bigger worry with him—well, one, Conor went in. And whether you believe that Floyd kind of carried him for five or six rounds before just turning it on and finishing him, Connor had a chance to go a little bit into deeper waters because he's actually conditioned. I think Ngannou's, one of Ngannou's biggest problems is going to be his conditioning. And while people say, oh, I mean, he fought MMA, they have five, you know, five-minute rounds. Boxing is completely different in terms of controlling your body and not gassing yourself. So I think the first time in with a real boxer, I think he's going to be in deep waters. Now, the intriguing thing is, I never believed that Conor McGregor was going to knock out. I mean, I guess that's always the thing in boxing. Like, hey, any second you can get caught with a shot. Um, Conor has power, and he's got power for 147 pounds. But Floyd is so good defensively that I never thought that Floyd would get hit. Now, Tyson Fury is about as brilliant defensively as any heavyweight we've ever seen. And he's a hard target because he's gigantic at six foot nine. Can Ngannou get inside and land a power shot? I suppose... You believe that's going to happen? 
yes, I do. I think wow, you're, you. he's, he's and Ganu tweeted out he's been training for this for three years. Okay. He's been outside of the UFC for a long time, Steve. I mean, he's been practicing with those hands. This is his dream fight here to get inside the boxing ring on a big stage. You think he's just going to come in there prepared, throw a couple of sluggish oaf like punches and then say, huh, I didn't expect I didn't think I was I don't know what to do now. He's going to come with a game plan. He's going to be prepared. Is he going to win? No, I don't think he's going to win at all. But can he get in there and land a big shot? Maybe rock him a little bit? Yes. And that's what I want to see. I'm all for the oddballness of this fight. Yeah, I don't think Ngannou has much of a shot. But like you said, I'm all for it. I also don't believe it's going to happen until you know they're, they're at a press conference, contracts are signed because Goofy's boxing at the highest level, especially in the heavyweight division. Uh, the fight will be in Saudi Arabia, which I was thinking about it. Uh, one, they don't owe us a fight here in the United States. I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, Nganu, Nigerian. Uh, we're talking about Nganu and Fury, who are neither one are from the United States, although they've made a lot of money in the U.S. Um, I do, you know, unfortunately, they're they're getting more and more involved in professional sports across the world. I, I think it's gross taking blood money from these guys, but the Saudis want in, so they can put up, you know, I'm sure the biggest site fee, and, you know, you think, Top Rank and Bob Arum are going to turn down the opportunity to make max money? Probably not. Probably not. So, interesting promotion. Uh, to your point, is it bad for MMA? I mean, there's a slight upside here. If he beats the heavyweight champion, that's massive. But if he gets slaughtered and then is like, oh, I'm going to you know, keep boxing, and we never see him in elite heavyweight fights in MMA, then that's a big loss for the MMA side of things, no? I don't think so because he's done he's done what he wanted to do in the sport of mixed martial arts where he can walk away now. I don't I don't really want to see him fight anybody in the PFL. The biggest challenge is going to be who do they get to fight him because we all know the PFL they don't have the best heavyweights in the world. It's you know an up and coming league. So you don't want to see him fight the PFL heavyweight champion anyway. So I don't even know who they're going to get for this pay-per-view super fight division that they have of the PFL that they made when they signed Ngannou. So I don't even know who he's going to fight. So if he wants to say, hey, I'm just going to keep doing the boxing, sure, why not? Knock yourself out. I'm happy for him because his big thing, you know, he's actually from Cameroon, where it's, hey, he wants his freedom. Cameroon, I'm sorry. And if his freedom is, hey, man, I want to be a boxer full-time, great. Because the biggest thing that's a more embarrassment for me is, not not that I still wouldn't watch this either, Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul. Now that's, uh, okay, this is a guy that's past his prime. He's doing this for the money with all the former MMA fighters that Jake Paul has, has, fought, has fought. And you saw what happened when he even fought, fight, fought a boxer, Tommy Fury, that had a little bit of experience. He wasn't able to get the victory. So for me, a guy who's relatively in his prime that wants to go into the boxing ring, it's going to be a lot more entertaining than the Jake Paul fights we've seen. What's your reaction if I say I'd rather see Jake Paul and Nate Diaz than Fury and Ngannou? You want a, you want more of a clown show, you want uh, more of a car wreck. No, because I think it can actually be somewhat competitive, and I think it's another really good notch in the belt of Jake Paul if he destroys Nate Diaz. I don't think it's a clown show. Why? Nate, why Nate is Diaz, that more impressive? The gap, the gap, the gap to me for striking and boxing is closer between Jake Paul and and Nate Diaz, and it is. I don't think people realize how good Tyson Fury is and how rudimentary the skills of even a guy in his prime. An MMA boxer, I'm telling you, the, the gap from a skill standpoint, and then you add in Tyson Fury doesn't get freaking hit by regular boxers, good ones. And now you're going to get this behemoth in there, and he's an impressive you know, physical dude. By the way, he doesn't have to cut weight now. So, I mean, I wouldn't recommend getting into 285. But if he wants to fight at freaking 
you know, he's pushing 6'5". If he wants to fight at 270 pounds, he can do it. But I'm telling you, I actually think the boxing gap between Diaz and Jake Paul is smaller than Tyson Fury and the former UFC heavyweight champion. I agree with you there that the gap is smaller. Okay. But for me, I'm not a fan of Jake Paul. I just don't like it, okay? I think this is more of my Jake Paul bias, you know, coming out. But I will say, big fan of Logan Paul. I, he's doing I, the WWE. Love uh, Logan Paul. <laughs> you know, I've, actually, I've kind of turned the corner on both. We talked about it two weeks ago where I saw Logan Paul doing a freaking front flip and landing on his feet, running out of the ring and jumping over the rope. I was like, okay. He's, uh, he's putting on that mask that Nitro was talking about about 15 minutes ago. I don't know how he's doing it, but he's getting a bigger upper body, so he looks like a wrestler. And he might be decent on mic. Um, I just think what Jake Paul has done to this point, and I'm not saying he's like beaten anyone great, but I thought he was a complete clown. I thought most of the MMA guys would go in there and freaking starch him, and it hasn't happened, and he's got actually a decent skill set. Now, there's going to be a point where you know, he bites off way too much uh, that he can handle, and he's going to get destroyed, but I don't know if it's Diaz. And another weird moment for MMA if Nate Diaz can't handle Jake Paul. We're going to go over to the uh, the MUA, McAuliffe Arena, in a couple minutes. Uh, Willie Ramirez is getting set up there. So we're getting ready for an Aces game tonight with Brittany Griner and the Mercury in town, and uh, we'll get you updated on what's going on here in the NBA Summer League. You want to come down because today is a very busy day. There are six games on tap. Actually, one has already started. Uh, two have started. Uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee going at it. Rockets and OKC. We'll keep a track or keep track of what's happening in that one. And then the uh, the late night games tonight are Chicago and SAC and the Spurs. And Washington right here at Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mack, NBA Summer League. Get your tickets, UNLVTickets.com. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Three hours. Have you have you seen it? I've seen it. It's fantastic. How long is it? It's three hours. And and Killian is everything you would want him to be. He is phenomenal. He's phenomenal. We don't need an intermission? I, I No, no. God, no. Now back to Cofield and Company, live from NBA Summer League. All right. All right, rolling on. Cofield and company, Thomas and Mack, NBA Summer League going down right now. A a Tuesday slate of six games. We got basketball over at Mick Ultra Arena as well. Damon is back at the Finley Toyota Studio. So, as we often do, Cofield and company all over town, all over the country. Willie Ramirez is with us. Willie, how are you, my friend? I am doing good i'm a little drenched with sweat after racing in driving into town racing in (laughs) but uh i am here so it's funny i was telling the guys earlier uh one our traffic updates are some of the most entertaining things ever um doug marsh essentially is like the merchant of road death he comes on he's like here are the closures Get ready for this. But it is a warning. It is always a warning. I told the guys I was driving. I actually took a little uh, circuitous route down to Thomas and Mac, Willie, and I drove down Hacienda behind Mandalay Bay, and I see a sign that says road closed, and I was like, ah! But it's tomorrow. Apparently it's tomorrow. So you made it down there, but then you got to traipse through the casino. So we're, we're good to go. We're good to go. Willie's going to be here with us for the next hour. We're going to get you ready for Brittany Griner and the Mercury in town against the Aces. Um Set the scene tonight, Willie. What kind of crowd do you think we'll have and what sort of energy will be in the building? Because the, the Mercury do have stars, and it is a it was a rivalry. They've gotten off to a kind of an injured, riddled start at 4-14. Four and 14. Yeah, it, and it's it's sold out. Uh, it's, it's, it's been the big storyline oh, leading cool. up to this, that it's a sold-out game um, once again. Um, and it's weird because I, um, I have somebody um, 
close friend, basically. I, I needed. I, I was inquiring about some tickets, and um, I couldn't get them for her through my main contact because the uh, because it sold out. But the biggest request from the from the execs for their tickets, you know, they all get X amount of tickets that they can give out, is from the NBA players that are in town to watch the summer league. So, um, Ooh, aside from a sold out crowd of fans courtside there are going to be throngs of celebrities nba players people that are basically in town for the summer league and i would imagine that have made their way and will hang around for the WNBA all-star game and the festivities that take place coming up this weekend all right Tamon, make a request who do we want willie's always good at pulling down some great guests i know he's covering the game tonight but every once in a while he's able to just walk up to someone and start chatting with him for a couple of minutes for cofield and company I'm going to say Chris Paul if he's there because I know that he's been oh, at, okay. at a couple of Aces games. Chris Paul, Chris Paul, Chris Paul, Chris Paul is 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 definitely someone who shows up. Chris okay. Paul is also somebody who is uh, has been um, a little standoffish. He's got a new book um, out though. Maybe he wants to talk. Could be. Um, uh, you know what? Whoever's here, I'll just make an effort and get us some sound for later this week. Who's? Uh, what do you mean? Chris Paul's been standoffish when you've approached him, or just you? Have you heard stories? Uh, just he just you know he he especially during the summer if he's at the summer league um, if it's not pre-set up through a PR person whichever team he's playing for or through the event um, he, he he's there to enjoy himself which is 100% understandable I don't want to make it seem like he's been rude it's just he doesn't do a lot of media outside of you know now don't get me wrong if he's at the summer league and Cassidy Hubarth asks to do something, he's going to do it. Um, or NBA TV, he's going to do it. But um, just to, to, to randomly walk up and be able to grab it, you know, um, guys who have been more than accommodating are guys, some of the younger players I've never had a problem with, like Devin Booker, Zach Levine. Like, if you were to walk up to them in their NBA cities and say, hey, do you, do you know who Willie Ramirez is right. uh, from Las Vegas, the report? Like, they're going to be like, who? But when they see me, like, there have been times where they'll walk up to me and say hello, or we're crossing paths, and they'll lock eyes, and they'll remember you and see you and associate you with Vegas when they see you at the Summer League or whatever. They've always been cool. They've always been um, accommodating. There are some that just aren't. They don't want to talk. Dame Lillard is a guy who's always been accommodating. Do you think Wemby and company will show up, or do we know officially that he's out of town? I know they were planning a break after this whole thing, and they got shut down. So I don't know if he stayed around the Spurs or if he headed somewhere. That'd be kind of cool if Wemby show, shows up. Don't run up behind him, though. Make sure you circle and get in front. Yeah. Right. I don't want to get my hand swatted and swat myself in the face because I will actually spill, uh, fall. I'll, I'll make sure that I fall so that <laughs> yeah, way I have a legitimate right. lawsuit sure. against the Spurs. But um, it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if they stick around if Pop's in town because of the relationship with Becky Hammond. Ooh, that's a good point. But doesn't mean that Wemby's going to stay around. Doesn't not, mean Not that, for no. sure. I, I, I would assume they let him... Get the hell out of here. But uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some team building. But uh, he showed what he needed to show in a couple the, of games. He had a good second game. And, and he had a full week with the nonsense with Britney Spears and, you know, getting kind of crushed by – Britney Spears is very popular. So uh, Camp Wemby got kind of crushed, led by the Spurs security guard. Uh, all right, yeah. time out here. We'll go back to uh, the Mua here in just a couple minutes. Uh, we are right across town from each other, only a couple of miles, if that. Uh, Willie is covering the Aces game, so he's at Mick Ultra Arena. I'm here at the Thomas & Mack for the Summer League. And, of course, uh, Damon is hanging out, running the show uh, at the Finley 
Toyota Studios. Coming up, we got the 4 o'clock hour, so uh, Reno is going to join in. Our Reno Hour every single day is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We'll have Justin Watkins on tomorrow. If you need help from the guys or really anyone at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, there's offices in Reno and Henderson and Las Vegas. You can call 766-1400.